If you're like me, you probably have said about something, it wasn't as good the second time. Now, I don't know for you what that is. Maybe you've gone back to a favorite meal. You had a great steak, and you go back, and you just remember every bite of it, but it wasn't as good the second time. Maybe you go back to a favorite uh, spot for a dessert. You're like, eh, it wasn't quite as good the second time. Maybe some of you have even seen the same movie twice. No, that's tough to imagine. Maybe some of you have gone to a movie theater and seen the same movie twice. No matter how much you loved it the first time, the second time, eh, it wasn't as good the second time, but it's still enjoyable. That doesn't really matter with a movie, with a dessert, with a steak. But it does matter when it comes to our salvation. Does your heart still marvel at God's grace to you? Does your heart still wonder at the privilege of your salvation? Is your heart still thrilled as it first was? This morning we're going to see from 1 Peter how the Apostle Peter wanted the saints in Asia Minor. They were rejoicing saints. He says to them, in this you rejoice. But they were also suffering saints. They were saints who were going through persecution for their commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. He wanted them to continue marveling at the greatness of their salvation, at the privilege of their salvation. If you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and open to 1 Peter 1. I'm going to read verses, chapter 1 from 1, uh, verse 1 to verse 12. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens or strangers, sojourners, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials. So that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you've not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. As to the salvation... The prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you in these things which have now been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Let's pray together. My Heavenly Father, we are blessed to know you by that name, and it is only through your Son, Jesus Christ, through his sacrifice, through him as our great high priest, that we are in your presence this morning. We praise you for this great blessing of the salvation that you have given us. 
And we pray this morning that we would appreciate it even more, Lord, that we'd be humbled by the privilege, that our hearts would overflow in praise, that we would persevere in our salvation, that we would wonder at your grace to us. We thank you, Father, for your word. Lord, we pray that you would help me now communicate it clearly. We pray, Father, for hearts that are willing to uh, listen, to apply. Pray, Father, that you would work through the gospel that is preached this morning, that you would save those who don't know you. Lord, we thank you that what uh, really is going on here this morning, uh, it is a supernatural, that even as we see in this text here, uh, that your Holy Spirit is by your Holy Spirit that the gospel was preached, and that same gospel we're announcing this morning. Thank you, Father, for the faith that you've given us who believe. We pray that you continue to preserve that faith until the return of your Son. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, we'll look at three proofs of the privilege of your salvation so that you will marvel at salvation while you long for the revelation of Jesus Christ. So we're going to look at three proofs of the privilege of your salvation so that we'll continue to marvel at the salvation while we long for the revelation of Jesus Christ. And that is what we saw at the end of last week. That though you've not seen Christ, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him. Re- greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. We are those who are longing for Christ to be revealed. We love him even though we don't see him. And we continue to believe in him. Well, we want to marvel at this salvation that, that we've been given. We want to be humbled by the privilege that we've received. As we see in the beginning in verse 10, Peter starts, as to this salvation. It's kind of nice when the Bible does it for us. It says, if Peter says, here's the topic I'm going to be talking about. As to this salvation. I'm going to be telling you about salvation this morning. That's what Peter says. As to this salvation. The content of this whole paragraph from verses 3 through 12 has been on salvation, salvation that we've already participated in as we have been saved. But there's also this aspect of our salvation that we're still longing to enjoy in fullness. We long to see Christ return for him to say, well done, good and faithful servant, to have any remaining desire to sin, to be completely snuffed out. We know that we're not dominated by the sin. It doesn't have dominion over us but we still want its presence to be taken away. We are saved, but we're longing to be saved, to experience that fullness. We've read about the salvation in 1 Peter 1.5, as he ends kind of his first sentence, Peter does, that we are protected by the power of God through faith for our salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Salvation comes up again in verse 9 at the end of the second sentence, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. And then again in verse 10, Peter starts as to this salvation. He wants to break off for a minute to focus on the salvation that God has given us. Peter writes to those who have been saved but who are waiting to be saved. Their faith is being tested as they are distressed by various trials. As they were going through being slandered and maligned, persecution for their faith, amongst many other trials like we all go through. So Peter brings perspective. He reminds the saved of the great privilege of what they're experiencing and of the great privilege that they will experience. So let's look at the first proof here. 
The first proof, and we'll spend the most time on this one. Your salvation was the focus of the prophet's investigation. Your salvation was the focus of the prophet's investigation. And that's our first proof. Your salvation was the focus of the prophet's investigation. Why that's a privilege is going to be seen as we go through this verse. So let's get back into verse 10. As to this salvation, and we see it says, The prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and in, in, and, and inquiries. Excuse me. What it says there at the end of verse 10 about making careful searches, that comes first in this thought here. It is fronted. It is what the author in, in Peter in the Greek wants us to have our attention to, that this is what they were doing, that they were making careful searches and inquiries. It's much more than curiosity. They exerted effort. They were seeking. They were searching. They were examining and seeking diligently, trying to find out. The beginning of verse verse 11 where it says seeking again is that word to inquire again they were like a detective in a whodunit in a mystery novel or a murder mystery they were examining not a crime though but as it says in verse 11 what they were seeking they were seeking to know what person or time the spirit of christ within them was indicating now, both the New American Standards and the English Standard Version have what person or time. If you have an ESV Bible, though, you can see that the note there says what time or circumstances. And it's possible that this can be translated, what person or time. But I think, I think all the commentaries that I read agree that the focus isn't on the person, but instead on the time. So it kind of leans more towards a translation like what time or what kind of time. When or what kind of time? What were the details surrounding? As it says, the sufferings of Christ and the glories that follow. One commentator says this, the rhetorical effect is to make Peter's reference even more general than it starts out to be. He starts off saying, what time? But then he continues on, this commentator says, he has in mind not only the precise question, when shall these things be? But several related questions having to do with the future of the world, the signs preceding the end, and the fate of the prophet's own, own generation. So we see these Old Testament prophets, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or what time and what were the circumstances that the Spirit of Christ within them was pointing. So they were looking hard. They were examining and what were they examining? It says at the end of verse 11, the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. As they prophesied, they prophesied about the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah. The prophets prophesied that the Messiah would be a suffering Messiah. We see that in Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 5. There's many different verses we could look at, um, but I wanted to include at least some, Isaiah 53, verses 4 and 5. Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. This prophecy of the Messiah's suffering. They knew that the Christ would suffer. 
but they also knew that he would be a saving Messiah. We see that in those verses, but we also see that that salvation was going to extend to the nations. One verse that shows us is Isaiah 49, verse 6. He says, It is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. That's not enough. I will also make you a light of the nations so that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. That salvation wouldn't just be for the Jews, but would also extend to the nations. That's part of the glories that would follow. They looked forward to this eternal, triumphant, reigning Messiah displayed in Isaiah 9, verses 6 through 7. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. This is what the prophets who prophesied longed for. They wanted to know when this would happen. Were they going to see it? Were their eyes going to behold this? Would they see the sufferings of Christ? Would they see the glories that followed? Would they be experiencing this? Now, where these prophecies come from is in the middle of verse 11. It says that the spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It's not the only time in Scripture that the Holy Spirit's referred to as the Spirit of Christ. In Romans 8 9, he's also referred to as the Spirit of Christ. Philippians 1.19, the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Galatians 4.6, the Spirit of His Son. I believe looking at all those in context, this is not talking that Christ was prophesying, although it's very difficult to distinguish from times the work of the Father from the work of the Son from the work of the Spirit. But that this is the Holy Spirit prophesying through those prophets. It says, the spirit of Christ within them was indicating that he was making known to them as he predicted. Now that word predict, this is the only time in the Greek New Testament the word is used. It means to testify beforehand. If you've ever had to testify to something, that's kind of tough to imagine. The base root of this word is to witness, to tell about something that you've seen, that you know. Only God can testify to something before it has happened. And that's what the Holy Spirit did. Testified beforehand about the sufferings and the glories that followed. We know it's true. Second Peter 1 verse 21, Peter in the next epistle says, And no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. The men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. The Spirit predict, predicted through the prophets. And the prophets wondered when. Beginning in verse 12, they get an answer. It was revealed to them, revealed by God, it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. They were not serving themselves, but you. That was true of the audience that Peter was writing to, and it was true of you here this morning. The prophets were serving you. They weren't going to be the ones who got to see the, the fulfillment, the glories that followed, but we do. The prophets were serving us, and they knew it. Now, they could still respond to these prophecies. They could still apply them. They could put their hope in God alone. They could put their faith in him. They could, when there's prophecies of judgment, the people that they were, were writing to, they didn't have to see that judgment to respond. 
And those who love God didn't have to see the sufferings of Christ to put their faith in God's promises. Or look forward to the day when that Messiah would reign. But we know what those prophecies were about. Unlike the prophets, Peter and the other disciples around the time of Jesus, uh, other Jesus' disciples, didn't understand that the glories would follow Christ's sufferings. They were only looking forward to the glories. When Jesus told them in Mark 8, 31 to 32, he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. It says that Jesus was stating the matter plainly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Peter was all for the glories, but he had a problem with the suffering. He didn't understand the prophets as the prophets understood the prophets. The prophets knew that the Messiah had to suffer, but Peter, at least at this point, didn't yet get it. He was just waiting for the glories. But following Jesus' resurrection from the dead, Jesus taught Peter and the other disciples what the, that the Spirit of God through the prophets had predicted centuries before. In Luke 24, verses 45 to 47, this is Jesus talking about meet, meeting two disciples. He opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. That is the beginning of the glories that follow. He opened their minds to understand the scriptures. He took them into the Old Testament prophets. He took them through scripture to understand what pointed to himself. Peter was a quick learner. We see that at Pentecost. After God outpours his spirit upon them, he points to the prophets and to Moses. As in, uh, well, and, and, and it says in uh, Acts 2 and Acts 3, my, my quote here is actually from Paul in uh, Acts 26. And Paul in Acts 26 says the same thing that Peter says in Acts 2 and again in Acts 3. I stand to this day testifying both to small and great, stating nothing but what the prophets and Moses said was going to take place, that the Christ was to suffer, and that by reason of his resurrection from the dead, he would be the first to proclaim light both to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. That the gospel was going to go forward as the prophets had proclaimed the sufferings and the glories that would follow. The foundation of the gospel proclamation that we have today is still the prophecies of those prophets. If you read through Acts, you see that they point again and again to what the prophets proclaimed was going to happen as their proof. So today, now, as we're here this morning, we are participating in the glories that the prophets announced. We are participating in the glories that the prophets announced. The prophets lived with longing. They longed to see our day. Now, it doesn't mean that the prophets hadn't experienced salvation. Their faith was credited to them as righteousness, just as it had been to Abraham. But they didn't experience salvation as we have experienced it now. They didn't know God the Son became man, Jesus Christ. They didn't see the last sacrifice for sins that, had, that would ever need to be made, be made. They didn't know that the temple veil had been ripped open and that we would have access into the Holy of Holies through the flesh of Jesus Christ. 
They didn't know about this mystery of union with Jesus Christ, that we'd be united with him and the power of his resurrection. They didn't understand all of this, of this wonder and the marvel that we have. And we saw it in, in Philippians 3 that we might know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to him in the likeness of his death, that we might attain to the resurrection of the dead. Those were mysteries that they hadn't understood, but we have now. We live now in the glories which followed the sufferings of Christ. In the middle of verse, verse 10, it says, As to the salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries prophesied of the grace that would come to you and we have that grace now the prophets had experienced grace god had a favor on them their hearts had been changed they'd been reconciled to god they were lovers of the true god but they didn't yet experience the grace that would come to us they wanted to know how close to that grace are we are we going to see that grace is they're going to see that grace and guess what, brothers and sisters? We are those who experience that grace now. And I know that we can forget. I mean, we didn't live in these Old Testament times. So, so we don't, is, we have to kind of exercise our imagination to imagine what that would have been like to, to, to know good news apart from the person of Christ. We forget the wonder of knowing him is, of how all of our hope centers around him. As we talked about this last week, how Peter's uh, audience, how, how precious it would have seemed to them. Remember, they didn't have the Gospels as we have them now. Maybe they had a portion of them or some, some portions, but they didn't have, they couldn't just open up and read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And yet they loved him. The Old Testament saints didn't hear any of those things. They didn't know about Jesus touching lepers. They didn't know about how much compassion he had. I mean, they would know that from God, but they hadn't seen that revealed in Christ yet. We have that grace. That grace has come to us. We know, like what it says in Hebrews 4, verses 16, 4, Hebrews 4, verses 14 to 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through, through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That is what we have now on this side of the cross, what glories there are. And they would have given everything to, to, to know that as past tense. To know that hope as we understand that hope. We know the glory of God in the face of Christ. We know that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We know that our forgiveness is in his blood. These were godly men. They were men, and then you read, and you're like, I wish, I wish I loved God like Isaiah loved God, like Jeremiah loved God. We have the glories now that they longed for. It's not the fullness of those glories. We haven't experienced everything that they prophesied. That's a little bit of the mystery of this age. 
we've already experienced them, but not yet experienced them. We're saved, but we're still longing for the fullness of that salvation. But the glories we are experiencing now, even as we wait for the fullness of those glories. Jesus said to his disciples in Luke 10, verses 23 to 24, turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes which see the things you see. For I say to you that many prophets and kings wish to see the things which you see and did not see them, and to hear the things which you hear and did not hear them. They were longing for this, and that is ours. What a privilege it is to have this salvation. That's the first proof. The first proof is that our salvation... Our salvation is the focus of the prophet's investigation. They long to know what we have. The second proof is that your salvation is the result of the saint's proclamation. Your salvation is the result of the saint's proclamation. It is the focus of the prophet's investigation, but also the result of the saint's proclamation. This is where we go in verse 12 of 1 Peter 1. I'll pick up in the beginning. It was revealed to them, the prophets, that they were not serving themselves, but you. They were serving us. And these things which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. There we see that it says, in these things. It says, but in these things which now have been announced to you. What are those things? Again, it refers back to the sufferings of Christ and the glories that follow. They've been announced to you. Now, that word can have a range of meanings, from simply telling or reporting to a more uh, authoritative revealing, a proclaiming, a declaring. Announcing here is appropriate. It's a sense of the arrival of something important. The sufferings of Christ and the glories that follow, the resurrection of Christ, the new life in Christ, the future forever with Christ, the entrance into the Father's presence through Christ. They have been announced to you. Through those who preach the gospel. The way that Peter says that there suggests that Peter wasn't one of those who first preached the gospel to these various churches scattered across Asia Minor. Preach the gospel in the Greek is one word. It's to proclaim good news. It's like a message, a messenger that comes back from a battle saying that the victory's ours. Bringing forward that news or the doctor coming out of the, the room and saying, the baby's born. I don't know if doctors do that. I guess the husband's in there with them. But as a verb, in the old pictures, it, it's, that's how it happens. As a verb, this proclaiming the good news, it became synonymous with proclaiming or preaching. And often it, it's translated as just preaching. In Acts 17, 18. And listen to what the content of this proclamation is because it's very Christ-centered. Acts 17, 18, because he was preaching or proclaiming the good news of Jesus and the resurrection. Acts 8, 12, Philip preaching the good news, that same verb, about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. Acts 8, 35, then Philip, beginning from the scripture, he preached Jesus to him. That scripture is those Old Testament prophets. Acts 10, 36, the word which he sent to the sons of Israel, preaching, proclaiming good news of peace through Jesus Christ. Acts 13, 32, and we preach to you the good news of the promise made to the fathers. That is the good news that was proclaimed, that was announced. And to whom? To you, the saints in Asia Minor, just as it has been announced to you. And it says, by whom? By the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. 
through those who preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Sent from heaven is, no doubt for Peter, a reminder of Pentecost, when the Lord Jesus sent the Spirit upon the apostles. Jesus had commanded them in Luke 24, verse 49. And behold, I'm sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. He told them to wait for the Holy Spirit, Acts 1-4. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the promise for the Father had promised, which he said, you heard it from me. And then verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest parts of the earth. Peter was the first to preach at Pentecost after the Spirit had been outpoured. He proclaimed the good news of Jesus Christ. He used the prophets to explain what that good news is. He says in Acts 2, verses 38 to 39, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So that gift of the Holy Spirit wasn't a one-time only gift that only the apostles received. He told those, you will receive this promise of the Holy Spirit too. Then in Acts 2.39, For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. It wasn't just for that generation, but for future generations that receive this promise of the Holy Spirit too. So what happened to these saints in Asia Minor? That whether they were some of those, and we know that some of those were there in Asia Minor, uh, as, as, as it says that there were those there that day who heard the gospel in their own languages, Maybe they were some of those who went back to that modern-day Turkey and told the provinces where they were from of the gospel that they had heard that day at Pentecost. Or maybe it was others who had gone. But it was by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. So as we think about the privilege of our salvation, this salvation that the prophets longed for, that they longed to know when is this going to happen, there's another privilege here. It is the result of the saints' proclamation to you. We can't move past a little word there now. But in you, but but you, in these things, in verse 12, right in the middle there, which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Now. In God's salvation plan, there was a before now. Right? The prophets lived before now. They longed to be in the now. There was a time before the Holy Spirit had been sent from heaven to proclaim to the nations. Before the good news had gone forth into the world. But we live now on the other side of that now. You're hearing the gospel this morning. The good news that you can be right with God, through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, through hoping in Christ alone. That good news is a historical and geographical display of God's grace. It's a historical display. It happens in time. Now they have been announced to you. The Lord, the Lord has privileged you to be born in this age. You are on the other side of now. You are on this side of the crucifixion and resurrection. And think about where your ancestors are from. I'm guessing most of us in this room, 
We're not privileged to have the prophecies of the Old Testament in generations past. But now, now, the gospel has been announced to you. It's a historical display of God's grace, but it's a geographical display of God's grace too. God planned the elect in Asia Minor would hear the gospel from those who preach the gospel to you. What privilege that he has brought to us the gospel this day. Just think of how in God's sovereignty he brought you to the place where you first heard the gospel. There are parts of the world still that have never heard the name of Jesus Christ, that have never heard the good news. You could have been born there. You could have lived your whole life without hearing of this gospel. You could have lived in generations past. How many of you are, how many generations are you removed from hearing the gospel? My mom didn't grow up hearing the gospel. I, I was blessed to have Christian parents to grow up hearing the gospel. How many generations are you removed from people who never heard it? What a display of God's grace that now, now, he has sent, what does it say? Verse 12, in these things which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit. They've been announced to you through those who preach the gospel. Who was those who preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven? And this is exciting. The Holy Spirit is still preaching the gospel through you. Through you to others. The gospel is still going forward. Maybe it was on a college campus when you first heard the gospel. Maybe it was through the testimony of your fathers and mothers. Maybe it was a preacher on Sunday morning. Maybe it was from a really particularly gifted evangelist. Maybe it was just an obedient saint. Seeking to make disciples in obedience to the great commission. When did the gospel come to you? This morning is another act of God's grace. It is an act of God's grace for all of us this morning who need to be refreshed and encouraged by this great news. That because of the sufferings of Christ, we are made right with our creator. That we have been restored to a right relationship with him. That there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That we are as clean before him as we will ever be because of Christ. But maybe it is new for you this morning and it is God's grace to you that he has brought you here this morning. It is grace to you if you respond. So have you responded to this gospel? God in his sovereignty has given you the greatest gift this morning that you can hear. That you can hear this gospel. He could have allowed you, and I don't know how souls work, he could have allowed you to have been born in in a different part of the world where the gospel never reached, or a millennia ago where the gospel never went. But he has you here this morning because there is hope in Jesus Christ, because you can be saved from your sins, because you can be made right with God through faith in the sacrifice of his son. So don't leave this morning stiff-arming this grace. God is preaching it to you today by this Holy Spirit sent from heaven. And that is the ministry that you have in this upcoming week for those brothers and sisters. To go and do the same. 
Because God is still doing this miracle. We are still in this age of glories. It's not the fullness we're going to see. But it is ongoing now. So just think about this great privilege. I'm reminded of Ephesians 2, 11 through 13. Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Everything the prophets had said meant nothing to us except for God's grace. But now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. What privilege that we should be participants in this salvation. What privilege, what grace, what grace to us. So let me ask you, has has that privilege turned into your preaching? Has that privilege turned into your preaching? And I just mean proclaiming, proclaiming this good news. Who will the Holy Spirit use you to preach the good news to? Who will the Holy Spirit use you to preach the good news to? In this upcoming week. This is, this is thrilling. These are the glories that follow. God is saving people. There are his elect out there. Will they be those in your school, in your neighborhood? Maybe he's prepping to send you to Algeria or India. Can you say, and I've been thinking about this, can I say this? It's a convicting thing to say, but I, I like the sound of it. I unabashedly exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ. I unabashedly exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ. I don't have anything to apologize for. This is, this is grace. I, I don't have to hide this. I don't have to be ashamed of this. Being called to make a disciple is a wonderful thing. These are the glories that follow. I don't have to apologize to my neighbor for not having known them for 10 years before sharing the gospel. Or you don't have to have had a meal with someone or shown certain acts of love before you communicate the gospel. Do those things too. But God is going to use his people to preach the gospel to others to proclaim this good news. So has your privilege turned into preaching? Has your privilege turned into prayer? Matthew 9, verses 36 to 38, Jesus says, or or Matthew says about Jesus, seeing the people, Jesus felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Has your privilege led to praying? If God has given you this great salvation, letting you participate in these glories that follow the sufferings of Christ? Are you praying that he sends out other laborers? Wouldn't it be incredible? It It would be an incredible thing if maybe the Lord worked from among our body, that when Sam and Amanda Cogburn are sent out, that we would have another family, another person here prepping to go and serve with them. Wouldn't that be thrilling? Let's pray that the Lord sends harvest sends workers into the harvest. Has your privilege led to preaching? Has it led to proclaiming? Has it led to prayer? And has it led to praise? Has this privilege led to praise in your life? 
There are those still around us who've never heard the gospel. God is going to be right to judge them for their sins. But what grace he's had upon us that we've heard it and believed. What praise we should have. What a privilege. Such a privilege that even, even the angels long to look into this. And that's our third proof. So the first proof is that our salvation is the focus of the prophet's investigation. The second is that our salvation is the result of the saint's proclamation. The third is that our salvation is the object of the angel's longing. Our salvation is the object of the angel's longing. And that's the third proof. Salvation is the object of the angel's longing. We see this at the end of verse 12. Things into which angels long to look. Angels are watching. They are a happily captivated audience. They love watching. And the object that they're watching is God. Revelation 7.11 describes the scene. All the angels were standing around the throne and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God. It's what angels do. They love watching God. They love worshiping God. They love serving God. Their focus is God. Luke 15.10 describes the angel's joy. There's joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. When someone repents, the angels, and I don't know what it looks like, you can imagine the whole stadium of angels erupting into rejoicing as a sinner repents. God is glorified. What an incredible drama salvation has been. Paul in Ephesians 3 verse 10 describes how the inclusion of the Gentiles into Christ along with Jews displays the manifold wisdom of God that it might not be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. That the angels would see the manifold wisdom of God. Salvation has been this incredible drama. And angels are watching it and they are loving it. They can't turn away. They're binge watching our salvation. They're like, just one more episode. If any of you have Netflix, you know what I'm talking about. We can stay up a little bit later. The angels love watching salvation. It says, the end of verse 12, that they long things into which angels long to look. That longing, it's craving, it's desiring. Sinfully, the same word is coveting. But it can, it can be used in an innocent way, like, 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 like Jesus' story of Lazarus, who is longing to be fed with the crumbs which are falling from the rich man's table. Longing hungry and the angels are hungry they're longing to look that that word look it's to make considerable effort to try to find out something it's what peter did when he bent over to look inside the tomb after jesus had risen from the dead it's stooping over to look it's examining something the angels are longing to look at these things and these are the things which have been announced to you the sufferings of Christ and the glories that follow, the gospel. The angels long to see the greatness of our salvation. Pastor uh, John MacArthur describes it this way. The angels have a, a holy curiosity to understand the kind of grace that they will never experience. The holy ones seek to understand salvation so that they might glorify God more fully, which is their primary reason for existence. 
It's not that they don't know these, these events that are going on. Now, they are finite creatures. There's nothing in God's word to suggest they're infinite. Only God is infinite. Angels were there announcing the birth of Christ. They served him after his temptation. They were at the grave after his resurrection. They spoke to the disciples after his, his ascension. Paul talks about them observing the apostles. Hebrews talks about them being ministers to the saints. So they know what's going on. They are watching this, but it's as if they want more. They want to know it more than they currently do. They are outsiders of this salvation that we walk in and that we experience. They wish to be insiders so that they can praise God the way that we eternally are going to praise God. They yearn to know Christ the way that we do. Just think about this amazing sin, uh, amazing scene in Revelation 5, 11 through 12. I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. They're worshiping the Lamb that was slain. But that Lamb wasn't slain for them. No fallen angel will be redeemed. They won't know his resurrection power. They are on the outside. We are the privileged recipients of what angels long to understand. Of all of creation, only we, the elect, know Christ is our brother. Only us know God as Father. Only we have been chosen from rebellion unto redemption. Only the church has had the privilege of being bought with the precious blood of Christ. We are the VIP guest. We found the golden ticket. We see salvation from the inside. We have a backstage pass. Just imagine holy beings who've never sinned, who have no desire for sin, long to understand how unholy creatures have been adopted by the Creator at the cost of His only Son. And this is what our experience is. These are our glories that we get to participate in. What an incredible privilege that we have. I believe that Peter goes to this, these privileges here because he knows that we are kind of stuck here between the already and the not yet. Loving Christ but longing for him. Being distressed, grieved by various trials. Going through sufferings. He knows it is hard here. He wants them to remember that this is a privilege. Praise the Lord that God has waited 2,000 years for Christ to return. We are the fruit of his waiting. We are the fruit of his patience, that we get to participate in those glories. What a privilege. Yes, there is longing. Yes, we are waiting. But what a privilege we have now. So while we go through these various trials, while we are waiting for the revelation of Jesus Christ, while we are obtaining the outcome of our faith, the salvation of our souls, Let's remember this incredible privilege. The privilege that was the focus of the prophet's investigation. The, re the result 
the saints' proclamation, the object of the angels' longing. That is the privilege that we have come to receive. We're still waiting for the fullness of those glories to be revealed, for us to experience the fullness of salvation. But while we long for the future, let us not stop marveling at the grace that's already come to us. Let us love and sing and wonder. Let's pray. Father, as we read through First uh, Peter, um, it kind of seems like he could have stopped at, at any time. And uh, each week we just see more grace lavished, and yet it is not a grace um, that pretends this life is easy. He describes us as, as, as strangers here. He knows that they were suffering. He knows that we are grieved by various trials. And yet all the blessings that we have, the inheritance we have to look forward to, the confident hope we have, the yearning for the, exp- for the revelation of Jesus Christ, the loving him, although not seeing him. Oh, Father, we are so thankful for all of these great gifts. And this morning, we come and we see even more of this privilege. Oh, Father, we didn't have to be on this side of now. We could have been in any parts of the world where the gospel had never been. We could have been born in any of the generations past that hadn't received the gospel. Oh, Lord, but you had mercy on us. What a privilege to be seeing your glory unfolding now. Do we, we get to know Christ and the power of his resurrection? And yes, even the fellowship of his sufferings, that we are being conformed to him in, in his death, so we might attain to the resurrection of the dead, that we might become like him for eternity. What, 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 what beauty, what, I don't know that the Old Testament prophets ever understood that they were going to be made like your son. Oh, this is so much better than we deserve, Lord. So, fathers, we do, we are grieved by trials. My brothers and sisters here this morning come being grieved by various trials this week. Lord, may we not forget the privilege of this great salvation. Oh, we thank you that we are on this side of the sufferings of Christ. And we pray, Father, that we would praise you in a way that is worthy of you. That we would proclaim you in a way that is fitting of this great privilege that we've received of an understanding of your plan for this age. And we do pray, Father, that you would, that you would send us in this upcoming week, Lord. Give us, give us boldness, Lord. Help us to be unabashedly disciple makers, Lord. Because we want others to experience the, these glories. Father, fill our heart with these glories. Help us to understand that what we have, the angels long for. Please work in our hearts through your grace, Lord. We do thank you so much for your word. I pray, Father, that you would use your word. I pray that it was, it was explained well. I pray, Father, that, that, that it would lead to much meditating in this upcoming week so that we would be transformed from one degree of glory to another, that we become more like your son than when we came here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.